I'm Natasha, and I'm Red. And together we are Syllogism, a science, culture, and philosophy challenge podcast on the edge of chaos. This week's challenge was to watch the American historical crime drama Ted K. Enjoy. But why do you have this like very Ted K look today? Like it's like extra. <laughs> oh my God. Hold on one second. I need to yell at my husband and like get his shit together. Rob, <laughs> I'm recording. I'm in the studio. Okay. Our challenge after we made the first Ted K Unabomber challenge podcast, our challenge, <laughs> our challenge was to watch the film Ted K, which came out very coincidentally, right when we had recorded the podcast just about. There isn't any greater evidence of uh, serendipity uh, than, than this. There's no such thing as coincidence. You don't know. It's a TikTok thing. It's fine. I'll oh, oh, it, oh, okay. Well, I'll put it in the video. It's fine. Yeah, I'm, uh, if, if, if you'd like, I'll go watch some twerking videos after this, and then I'll understand. Why it. do you think TikTok is all twerking videos? <laughs> Because, well, you know, because you know, as, 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 as a uh, professed uh, troglodyte, you know, um, I, I only hear about these things uh, through like papers and word of mouth and stuff like that. And so oh, okay. Forth. Such a weirdo. <laughs> the challenge. <laughs> the actual challenge was to watch the Ted K movie. And so I tried the first time when my friend was in town and fell asleep while they just talk shit on it. My husband and my friend just talk shit on the whole film. And, and then I watched it again, half last night, half this morning. So I watched it in three parts basically. Oh, and, mm-hmm. and so now we're going to talk about it, but also we've had some time to marinate on it, I think. And I've done a four hour recording of the manifesto. So I'm very intimately acquainted with his ideas. So do you feel First question, I suppose, after watching the film that you've had any change of heart about anything having to do with 10K? I wouldn't say that I had any uh, change of heart whatsoever, except perhaps I feel like I understand more of him as a person than almost anything else. And, and so in that way, uh, as tragic as some of uh, his life, as, as his life became, uh, it was a kind of uh, sympathetic portrayal, or at least it was a really good way to see what might have been going on in his mind. And I think one of the best things about the film itself is that they looked at his diaries and used dialogue directly. They created dialogue, or at least monologue in most cases, directly from things he had written. So there was no way that this was a fabrication of his persona. This was as close to what to getting inside his mind, I think, that you could possibly get. Yeah, I agree. I think this showed me, I expected it to be kind of pointed in a one way or another. I really expected the filmmakers to vilify him. That was my expectation upon seeing the trailer. Primarily, I think because when I heard his voice in the trailer, the voiceover, I was like, ah, oh, they dogging him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, they're trying him. And they didn't. They, I think, portrayed a very accurate depiction of what I imagine him to be like. 
But he said in the manifesto that it's okay to, so all the things that I found so hypocritical about him when we were discussing him the first time were reinforced in the movie. He said, it was kind of like he made the rules. And so he was making up at, making them up as he go, as he went along. He was like, it's okay if you use technology only to dismantle technology. Mm, well, well, I, well, I, hmm, I don't know if that's, I think you and I might part a little bit on that. I don't know if that's necessarily hypocritical because as technology uh, makes someone, let's say more potent in ways uh, that, that you would want to undermine, you might need to use some of it to undo it. And then you'd have to also discard it yourself. So there's probably, so, so for instance- Like the um, ring. Something like that, or 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 even you know more current. You know, if you wanted to um, undermine what's happening, let's say between Ukraine and Russia, there are things that you can do with some technology to counter, let's say, missiles and airplanes. But even if you don't have access to those things, but if you had none of them and you just had pitchforks, let's say, like you would have had maybe pre-industrially, you know, maybe as a result of uh, being agrarian, uh, the likelihood that you would mount any defense whatsoever and be able to prevent its eventual eclipse of your civilization is virtually null. So I, I think there is an argument that you do need to leverage some of what exists to try to level uh, the playing field. So I agree that, but this brings up an interesting question because he talks about how the revolution needs to come from the outside. And it reminds me of one time I was sitting next to a CEO of an airline on a flight accidentally, didn't know I was sitting next to him uh -huh. until he commented on the flight attendant's shoes. She said, do you like these? And he was like, oh yeah, uh-huh. And I was like, is she gonna ask me too? And he was like, oh no, I work for the airlines. And I was like, oh, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm a CEO. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, okay, <clears throat> love your airline. Thanks, you do great work. <laughs> well, you know but, what that was about then. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, do you like my shoes? Look at this over here, Mr. CEO. Um. <laughs> no, they were new, it was a new uniform. Yeah, that's, it wasn't like that at all. She was like 8,000 years old. So, oh, okay. But the point is, is that I had a conversation with him, a very candid, lovely conversation with him and actually kind of kept in touch with him after, but he had suggested to me while I was dealing with this whole pharmaceutical biotech conundrum that I hated. I'm like, I hate the whole system. I'm very tag K. I hate the whole pharmaceutical system because it just felt gross to me. It feels like I'm selling science, I'm selling my intellect, and my face is what's selling their product in a sense, my brain, not even my face. Mm -hmm. And he said that he that sometimes you have to change things from the inside. He worked his way up back back in the day when you could do such a thing from a right. technician to being the fucking CEO. And so for him, it, it makes sense in that in that realm of society, he could work change from the, from the inside. I don't know if we can do that anymore. And Ted was saying, you have to be an outsider in order to have a revolution. So this, I guess, is the difference between reform and revolution. Yes. So if you're working from the inside, you can obviously leverage all of the tools, but you have some art and element of surprise that you're using some rules from outside the game, inside the game. But if you're an outsider and you're using inside rules, 
right? Like Ted K using technology to dismantle technology. I don't know. What do you think about that? Interestingly enough, it reminds me of a Petersonian uh, quote that I threw in my story actually recently, where he talks about uh, the incremental, the, the, the barely perceptible incremental uh, encroachment on uh, what your boundaries are. And each concession uh, leads to the potential furtherance of those transgressions. And so the degree that which your borders are loose and weak, the degree to which I'm inside you and you already have some affinity with me, I can't. Uh, it is the potential, well, we love when we finish. I got, I got that's this. What she, that's what, that's so what the, he said. So, so the point is, you do little, 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 little things, and then if you're there long enough, and no one knows that you're a revolutionary, before you know it, uh, people will begin to parrot the things that you've said as if it's their own ideas, and they don't even know it. So, um, I, I would say that um, that's both transformative and revolutionary. It's just that it, there's a difference between cataclysm and incrementalism. Yes. And I think I'm going to say, if I were to make a judgment on it, you need both to really pull major change. Uh, yes. And, and, and so I, uh, I actually draw parallels in my mind when you just said that to um, when you look at the distinction between or, or the differences in approach uh, in social revolution between uh, what we think of as uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. one is that one is much more in your face and forceful yep. and defiant. And the other is working within the system and, uh, and garnering influence and even sympathy and then getting people to change from within. And so you're right. If you're coming at it from both directions, uh, now you have someone who's sympathetic. Maybe you even begin to agree with some of their ideas you see the, uh, the, the stark contrast with the counter-revolutionary, but you also have some sympathies for their ideas. And before you know it, the pressure from the outside and the, your internal pressure where you begin to identify with the revolutionary, uh, you know, ultimately uh, brings about a collapse that is less cataclysmic and more, um, I don't know, uh, societally transformative. But because you've yeah. adopted those ideas yourself. Right. This is kind of the same way with women's suffrage. I always make this comparison between Susan B. Anthony and Alice Stone. Uh, that would be Alice Paul. You know, Alice was much more incendiary and hung around with the loose women and the prostitutes and the bra burners and, you know, well, the pre-bra burners. And which, which, which I recommend, by the way, I, I, I often find myself hanging out with bra burners. Yeah, well, you know, to each the own. <laughs> I'm much more of the Susan B. Anthony type. I am much more of the color in the lines as best thou can. And you're too kind. That's not true though. I don't know what I am. Sometimes I really get confused about what the fuck I am because half the time I play that role and half the time I play the Alice Stone role. Uh, that would be Alice Paul. Mm -hmm. In the world, just fuck it all up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with some, uh, some friends of mine. They, uh, the, the guy was saying, look, you know, I can propose ideas and uh, they can be really out there necessarily. And I don't have to necessarily adopt them, but I'm willing to entertain them. 
And so part of my discussion uh, with them was that's a really good intellectual process to have. But ultimately, I, I kind of brought it back to what we were talking about. This is unfortunately going to, well, maybe fortunately, because there is an arc, circulus uh, uh, or back to things that we were saying with uh, the Emersonian philosophy about zigging and zagging. And so I think there's an underlying arc to your ideas. There's only so far away that you're going to go. And that ultimately, uh, your, your tact is going to uh, refine you such that you're going to be willing to accept fewer and fewer uh, divergent ideas over time. And I think that process is something like maturity. Mm. And, so, and so maturation happens when you've tried everything, but you also know enough about yourself so that you don't waste your time trying things that are absolute nonsense from a, from a perception, from, from a perception of your identity. And this, I think that takes roughly half a lifetime to achieve. I think you're right. This is like what we were talking about, about last night, about knowing that one night stands are not for, right. not, not for <laughs> you. Um, and I, it's so funny you mentioned this because I was writing another newsletter on my Substack about Ted K and circling back and, and waxing and waning and having different ideas. And and I was talking about exactly this, that early on in my career, I was very immature and you can see it in my writing where I, I, I waffle back and forth. I argue with myself all the time, but you could really see it in, a, in something I published where I'm like no direction. It was competing ideas. And then I made a conclusion that wasn't the actual conclusion of the piece. It, it was like, I was saying, A, 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 A. So in conclusion B, uh, and, <laughs> and I, I remember writing it thinking, oh, well, my, my advisor would probably prefer that I say B, but I really feel A. And so I wrote it, I sent it to her and she's like, you really need to not be so one-sided because it was a, the, the article title was collaboration versus competition. And I was real butthurt because I had gotten my shit stole from presenting <laughs> it too soon from premature publishing in a sense. You know, I, I've, I've heard that can be a problem uh, and you should talk to your doctor about a solution that's right for you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a premature publisher. I don't give a fuck. But see, that's kind of part of it is about acceptance too. And this is one thing I can say about Ted K. He accepted who the fuck he was. He sure, I mean, this is, goes back to the whole self-reliant thing. Same thing with Kanye, talking about Kanye, no matter how fucked they are, were, will be, they believe in that in themselves. And that's wild to me. I, I wish I had a shred of that confidence. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, kind of, as you and I were discussing a little bit, um, we need that. You, you need that in order to be functional in the world to begin with. I mean, if you think about any, for instance, almost any job interview you go on for anything in a world that is largely a series of uh, very badly constructed masks uh, that you must wear in order to go somewhere, um, you need to believe enough in yourself and believe enough in your ability to even imitate those ideas in order to be able to get the position in the first place, because there's no, there's no one hired at a, a, a level that requires competence uh, that is not exhibiting some high level of, of self-confidence. A meek person isn't even going to show up, and if they do, they're just going to hedge their, their statements, and they're not going to present themselves as someone who can drive change or innovate or anything. So there's, there's something fundamental about that, that we need, uh, 
Uh, and you know, to have it to those extremes might be a per particular kind of persona. I mean, I don't imagine that Kanye is not himself also somewhat schizotypal. Uh, <laughs> Did you see the Joe Rogan interview? I, I, so I didn't see the Rogan interview. I, I don't. I, I don't watch Rogan much at all, and I am not. I've never been much of a fan of right. Kanye outside of a couple of songs. But but I did think after you mentioned how you felt about the uh, the documentary that I would that I would take the time to watch it just because there are things in there that are likely to be pertinent. So even what we're doing now as people just thinking aloud and 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 trying to f find a way to be as authentic as we can uh, in a public space. Maybe that can be the next challenge. Watch the Kanye documentary. We'll record an episode on it because I okay. am, I, I'm, I'm very into it. I like it. And I, th Kanye is just, whatever you say about him, the man is fucking interesting. And so I've watched Rogan only on certain episodes. I, I tend to only listen to podcasts that I feel like there's some relevancy, like I like Lex Friedman, but he's interviewing Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm like, fuck that. I man. just started watching that this morning. I was like, well, she's watching uh, the Unabomber film. So what am I going to do? Oh, let me watch, you know, uh, the, a, a, a technocrat. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, and he said some interesting things. And I only watched like for the first maybe half hour. But then he started to. Hello, human. Yeah. Well, well yes. Well, he clearly is a, a cyborg. He, he is expressionless. No he's definitely Botoxing the fuck out of his face because there's not a single, there's not a single actual human muscular contraction to anything. Exactly. Um, but he, when he started to veer off into what he thought was the science of how social media uh, doesn't actually uh, enhance polarization, I, I, and I listened to his rationale. I said, you know, now you're full of shit. I can get behind wow. you on about when it comes to the technology and and what it's going to be like to have photorealistic avatars and stuff like that but once you start talking about the effects of social media not having an impact on polarization because there are some nations in which it doesn't happen the, the first thing here. you have to ask yourself is well um so in those nations in which it doesn't happen how free are people to talk? And if there's a, if there's a, if there's a monomyth in your culture uh, and you are also forbidden to talk about uh, certain things in certain ways, are you polarized? Well, yes, you are, but uh, you're not gonna see the kind of division you see in the States where Damn. I think that in a lot of ways, the, the evidence that we are as free as we are is precisely found in the extremes in the polarization because we can think almost anything and have these opposite opinions, have an open dialogue about it and find ways to absorb the chaos. Yep. The less free your society, the less you will see, you know, maybe radical polarization expressed. In Absolutely. A way. Polarization is a consequence of liberalism. I, th I find it to be yep. so. Obviously, I have my own thoughts about mitigation. But I think we have to go through this period. And the question to, in my mind is, when the fuck did Mark Zuckerberg decide he was going to be just a blatant liar? I mean, I think it was pretty early on. I think it was pretty early on that he because he had to lie to himself about a lot of things. But this, you know, I saw this news thread that said all these telegram threads of where you can get information about what, what's really going on in Ukraine, because you can't trust what's happening on any media source, not let alone any one media source, you have to kind of cobble together all of these pieces of information now 
to get a full picture because one will leave out this one will put film from this angle. And so it was, there were, there were three kind of sources of news out there right now. There are ones that are pro Russia, pro NATO, and then just blatantly like lying, you know, uh, where they're, they're just from the Kremlin basically. And it's really remarkable that there are people out there in the news business who consider themselves journalists, um, who blatantly lie about what's happening. And in my mind, Mark Zuckerberg is too smart to actually believe he's telling the truth when he says something like that. And again, this is, I don't want to like, you know, exalt Ted K, but Ted K spoke what he thought to be true. He, he even said in his strategy for, for creating revolution that in, in order to create true re revolution, you need two types of strategies, one for the true believers and one for the rest. And you can't lie to the rest. You have to be very factual with the true believers, very logical, but you can't just spew out a bunch of lies to everybody else because anybody can see past the lies. Like what he said is a blatant lie. The whole people who think that the ends justify the means. I hold out hope that they're wrong and that they will fail because the, in my opinion, you're not at a true end if you use the wrong means to get there. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. I think, um, I think when it comes to, uh, to to Zuckerberg, there are things that I think he might actually be honest about, and 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 so and some of that is, I think he really does, uh, and maybe this only evolved as the company itself became something worth even talking about in the first place. Um, but I think I think he does seem, you know, to have a, a a genuine interest in getting people to communicate and facilitating that in some way. And uh, I, I don't think he wants it to have the kinds of consequences that it does. And I think that he uses some of these uh, these studies and lots of rationalization to get away from uh, the impact it's it's having. Uh, I also don't think that any of the companies that created the technologies were. Uh, prepared for what the interface with the actual human psyche was going to be like. Now, he says in this uh, interview with Lex um, that he studied psychology and uh, computer science in college. And I'm like, well, no, number one, and, and believe me, I'm the least focused on credentialism uh, as there is, uh, but as anyone can be, uh, because I haven't, I've interacted with only a handful of people where I say that I can see that their credentials have done something for them that isn't just getting them a job. Um, but, you know, you're like, you dropped out in like your third year. That means you basically had like a basic psychology class, maybe two. <laughs> I only took one psychology course and I had no idea who was teaching me at the time because he was nobody, but Charles <laughs> Negi taught me and he's since blown up as one of these alt-right figures in, you know, yeah. the kind of intellectual dark web sphere. And I remember the things he taught, he was very aggro about his teaching. He gave zero fucks. He was like, pretty much y'all are idiots. And the ones that aren't are the only ones I care about. We'll see what happens. Who He gave zero fucks yeah. about psych 101. So he yeah. just fire hosed people with psych, mm -hmm. with psych stuff. So, I mean, he went to Harvard, right? So I don't, I don't, I'm the same way about credentialism. I don't place a whole lot of value on it. But I will say that there are institutions in this country still remaining that produce 
decent education, a holistic education, even in, in the introductory, inter, introductory courses? I would say yes. It, it's true that you might be exposed to, to some information uh, and you might be firehosed with it. Uh, and, and much of what happens in education really is on the part of the, uh, of the student, because no matter what someone throws at you, if you're unable to assimilate it and, uh, and contextualize it, it doesn't matter what you know. This is the difference between being able to take a test and being able to, uh, and being a thinker. Uh, and those two things are wildly uh, divergent. Absolutely. And so I would say that um, just because you're exposed to really good information, especially at that kind of age, doesn't necessarily mean that you understand the ramifications uh, in a way that a, that a more, uh, well, a mature mind who has studied quite a bit more and integrated it with large swaths of additional psychology uh, would. And, and so, yeah, you can have a great teacher and a great course, but if it's one course for one semester uh, and you know a lot of things, that knowledge doesn't necessarily translate into comprehension. And so that's where I, that's where I still think that no matter what, that comes with uh, a breadth of exposure. Uh, Agreed. And interlace the information into something that am amounts to a a, a, a way to interpret the human psyche in a paradigmatic way. Agreed. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it almost gives people license like, you know, Zuckerberg, I didn't know who was teaching me. And I thought I know nothing about psychology. And I was like, afterwards, I'm like, oh shit, I actually remember some things. There were some interesting things that I took from that. Whereas someone like Zuckerberg who took it at Harvard and already has an inflated sense of self may have overestimated his own intellect on the human psyche. Yeah. Hmm, what? Weird. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and again, you, you might even understand the concepts, but when you're making decisions, yeah. uh, how much of those are really based in, uh, in a deep understanding of what the human psyche is. And, and, and I, I think, I think it's this much imagine someone who's studied yeah. it as a science. And so I have a, I have a really good friend who, uh, who practices, uh, psychology and, uh, you know, she's been practicing for 40 years and, and what she had to go through in order to be educated and then learn to uh, sit through case studies and then have each one of her analyses pulled apart in residency like you're defending a PhD thesis every single time is an extraordinarily rigorous uh, activity that someone who took an introductory course to psych, uh, psychology is never getting. It but, is not a science to you. It is it is dabbling. It's dilettantish, and uh, and I would say that most of what you espouse as a result is psychobabble. So agreed, it's a pseudo psychology. Agreed, but you're talking about something vastly different, which is clinical psychology. I've done work in the realm of clinical stuff. I'm not a clinician in any sense, but I've observed kind of what happens in a clinical setting versus what happens in a laboratory setting or a large scale research setting. I'm going to actually argue, and I, I know we're veering off of Ted K, but it'll come back. I'm going to argue in favor of Zuckerberg because I have a proclivity to actually... <laughs> I mean, listen, <laughs> listen, no, you shut up. Listen. <laughs> Oh, snap. <laughs> All right. Stop, stop talking shit. Stop talking shit. So here's why I'm going to, I'm going to argue in favor of Zuckerberg, because while you called what he did dilettantish and um, dabbling, the motherfucker did something, which is more than most people do in this world. Agreed. And Ted K 
did something, a, a very, very wrong something. But what, what else happens if you don't act, bro? What happens? Ain't shit happening. Ain't but, shit. And I, I, but but I, I would like to say, though, that um, what you're talking about is two polar opposites uh, who were both who were doers who may be going about things in uh, the wrong way. One is, uh, you know, clearly to bring down a, a system that he can foresee uh, is uh, you know, harmful to humanity. Another one who is trying to construct the system that he can foresee uh, might also be uh, part of the downfall of important aspects of humanity. So in reality, uh, what is the difference between mm. someone who brings some tens brings some attention to himself by doing extraordinarily uh, uh, well malevolent things uh, in ways that uh, everybody recognizes as catastrophic, and and then someone like uh, you know Zuckerberg who you know is making these things and is using technology to the decrement of the human spirit. Um, uh, to his own advantage and for his own philosophies. Uh, so one, again, one is more extreme and you can measure that in ways, but there are ways in which we're being uh, harmed by this interface that uh, are inestimable. Absolutely, but we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? So someone needs to take up for web three or you know what was web two, now web three. I mean, Zuckerberg's ideas will die with him, just as Elon Musk's ideas will die with him. It's very few people who actually are able to create a transgenerational movement. And um, they create kind of, even if they create kind of a cult, which I would argue Musk has, Zuckerberg had not in any way. Um, so what I'm saying is the propensity to action is good, even if the action is wrong, because it inspires other people to act and then therefore correct or adjust whatever wrongdoing has been done by the previous person. So I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, we do need to think we do need, uh, you know, my whole uh, premature publishing is sometimes to my detriment, but sometimes it's just right. You know, I say, you know, just relax, don't do it. <laughs> that ain't always the vibe. <laughs> it's, it's a very techno-centric way of looking at business uh, that says something like, you know, you have to be willing to fail. You know, the greatest success you know, emerges fast. from all these all these attempts to fail uh, or all these attempts that ultimately fail. Um, but, but, you know, of course, that kind of brings over the tangent of, well, how much luxury does one have to fail and what underpins you? So some people can just take risks because no matter what, they've got something underneath them that supports them in ways that Ted Kaczynski clearly did not. He had <laughs> nothing. Uh, whereas Zuckerberg can take myriad risks uh, and almost feel no uh, repercussions. And therefore the, the philosophy of risk-taking really is proponed by people who can do nothing but take risks. I don't think so, because if you think about the vast majority of people, they're in the middle. The vast majority of people are too scared to take a risk because they've they've clawed just enough and they don't want to lose it. This is the mediocrity of kind of high achievers, right? They never really achieve Zuckerberg level freedom. And they certainly haven't, you know, shitted themselves into the ground to Ted K level freedom, both of both of whom have a lot of freedom to act because they, their situations will not change either way. Right. So, but you're, but most people in the middle 
I guess you're right. Okay. I'm going to back up. I said, you're wrong, but I think you're right that those people are the ones who are going to drive change on both ends of the spectrum. But isn't, isn't it often the minority that create change? So couldn't you imagine someone in the middle who really believes in an idea and actually has something to lose would be much better suited to drive change because they have to make it work. They don't, it's the whole, I don't have a plan B. I'm telling you, I've never, ever had a plan B. <laughs> Both the economic girly man. I love the that economic one. girly man. Yeah. So I don't think a person in the middle is going to do jack shit. It's always <laughs> someone at the end. It's always the person in the middle the finds wow. contentedness, fights for contentedness, maybe slightly more. Uh, and then finds themselves in harmony with whatever it is that they've achieved. Uh, very often they might be grateful, although some are, although many, no matter what they have, are resentful, uh, see any you know, current activist movement. But so Ted, in a way, I think, was actually much freer than Zuckerberg because Zuckerberg can do almost nothing but continue to propagate ideas that go in a single direction. Uh, and he is at the behest of shareholders, and uh, and he must continually perform and manifest a kind of success in a marketplace. Ted, yes, had none of those had none of those uh, none of those restrictions. Could do whatever he wanted to with his moments, and even if we go back to the film, <laughs> you know, he would say, "Look, if you have no responsibilities um, to anyone, basically." You could spend hours just enjoying and uh, you know, your presence in nature and absorbing your surroundings. Uh, you wouldn't even necessarily have to be deeply in contemplation and they would go by and you wouldn't experience boredom because you didn't need distraction from the power of presence. And this, this brings me to um, th this whole movement for uh, for for meditation and some kind of spiritual practice that would that we're uh, that people are uh, you know making lots of money off of to tell you basically here's an app I'm Sam Harris that, that, yeah I love you Sam no I <laughs> but, don't but, but, but yeah but seriously here's an app that you can pay me for that will allow you to make space to just fucking relax. Now, I need to pay someone and use technology in order to figure out how to take 10 minutes for myself and just breathe and try to find where the looker is. Where's the looker in your mind? How fake, how funny. You know, how, how much bullshit. Now, Ted gets this for free. He can sit there in nature, unconstrained at by any- At what price? Uh, at what price? You see well, him, he's like well, kicking well, the ground. He's all well, pissed well, off when the- well, yeah, he was a little- uh, I think he had some kind of happened. sensory integration issue uh, where it's either that isolation magnified those noises, but in this film, what they do extraordinarily mm. well is they, they take the disruption of human noise and it's 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 aircraft and it's people on dirt bikes and uh on on snow uh mobiles. snowmobiles um and and logging and they just show that the encroachment of this noise is is so profound and so total that uh you get pulled away from your sense of presence in nature and it's almost like i wonder if that if 
some of what he did in part might have been because of a kind of sensory integration disorder uh, yeah. that ultimately manifested itself in his desire to get away from the, 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 the noise, the conundrum of technology that results in a constant hum that you can never escape. Every time that there was a moment of, of, of quiet and, and, and you know, solace or whatever, or rumination, you know, over went a helicopter. Here's a jet uh, to the point where uh, he needed to figure out how to stop it because it was destroying something, I think, in a nervous system that wasn't well adapted to dealing with uh, the ordinary amount of chaos that most of us have become accustomed to. If he were, if he were around, uh, if he were born 30 years later, maybe he could have just subscribed to Sam Harris's app and been fine. <laughs> uh, but okay. I agree about the film. Um, so like I said, my, my friend was like, this is boring. And she was like, she did not like it. And I thought, uh, it was great because it, what I think it did was it showed you how mentally ill he was, which is exactly what he did not want you to see and know. And right. so you have, all people see is <clears throat> the man did this shit. And why did he do it? He did it because he needed to get this information out. And then when you read the information, this is, I think how Ted K enters most people's minds is they see what he did. They, they read his manifesto and then they go, Oh my God, he's brilliant. He's right about all this stuff. So I think we all needed kind of a, uh, no, wait. Yeah, he's fucked up. Like he's way, way, way fucked up. And I think the film did a great job of showing the derangement that this man experienced. So uh, it was, it was sad to me. To me, it was mostly that I think the saddest part for me was the whole, like I'm Mr. Lonely scene where he's dreaming he's in the cabin and it's, falling down and then he's on the fucking train and he looked like a scared animal to me on that train just yeah. he couldn't function in the world and he blamed everyone which is very leftist of him <laughs> in, in, indeed it is but he blamed it's everyone everybody, else. it's everybody but me there's nothing that i would be a, a model of perfection if not for everyone else right my mom and my brother and my fucking what did he say? My stinking fucking family. So I, I went to a uh, a museum recently and went to an exhibition. Uh, we're going to talk about the Van Gogh exhibition again. No, this is okay. this is the great oh. this is great animal orchestra by uh, Bernie Krause. And um, when I went to this exhibition there to just listen to the glory of uh, of natural uh, the natural orchestration of the world and understand how. Uh, auditory communication uh, winds up signaling all kinds of things and how emergent it is in nature. Uh, among the things that he did was he took recordings uh, at the same spot in roughly the same time of year uh, for the same duration at the same time of day. And he would record this, the, you know, the sounds in the wilderness uh, in like the 19, uh, like 1970s. And then he would record it again in the 80s and the 90s and so forth. And you can watch the, the, the pronounced decrement in uh, biodiversity uh, in, the, in what you hear in natural expression. And the most important part was that even if the forest looks 
untouched, it's pristine. There isn't anything going on there that would suggest that humans have in some way physically destroyed something uh, fundamental to the environment. It's the noise, the human din that drowns out the natural world's symphony and disrupts all kinds of stuff. And so he, he coined these terms, Krauss coined uh, the terms uh, biophony uh, for the sound that the world makes, the, sound is the sounds of the natural world. And he came up with another one, uh, anthropophony, which is human noise. And uh, while watching this, watching what happened to nature just as a result of the noise that we make, the background hum that disrupts the natural world's communication and probably mating processes and all kinds of other things. Um, it's, uh, I called it anthropophany. It's the, it's the disruptive noise of human machinery that is, uh, like, let's say, anorchestral, non-harmonic. Non there are sounds that maybe, are, that, that maybe are subliminal to us that are liminal to the creatures who would be listening for them. And so there's a loss of biodiversity just because of noise. And that is a profound realization that, that I think will stay with me uh, forever. It's rare that you go to an art exhibit and you find that it also helps to inform your, uh, your perception of the world. This, uh, this radically changed the way that I feel about noise in general. Well, let's check out a clip. interesting. We use these words like the natural world. You know, you called it the difference between the biophony and the anthropophony or the anthrocacophony. Yeah, but yeah. isn't human nature, so hasn't it come from nature itself? And this is my argument often when Ted is saying we need to return to nature. I'm like, bitch, we are nature. Are we not a monstrosity born from nature itself? We may be horrible, we may be creating these non-natural machines and entities, but, but is it not a natural consequence that would occur in many different evolutionary scenarios? If you think about Drake equation and how many other potential civilizations are out there, some of them have to be fucking shit up like we are too. And maybe if, maybe we're not actually fucking shit up, maybe we're just reaching a different point Maybe this is a part of our cycle that we have to go through. Sometimes you got to go through hard shit to come out on the other side. And if we survive, perhaps we can influence nature in a different way. I just, I feel like this is so, this, this perspective is so negative that mm -hmm. we're destroying nature. And, and I, I can't, I can't think of it that way. I, I don't want to think of it that way because we don't have a choice. We can't Ted K this shit. We can't right. tear it all down. That would be horrible. That would be horrible. And all that we have created and built would be lost. So what do we do? How do I take this perspective? What do I do with it? Hmm. It's well, aspirational that maybe we'll return to this someday, that maybe we can, it's historical, but, but we can't just sit and, I mean, that's a true conservative perspective. Hmm. And the conservatives are fools, remember. 
Well, indeed they are. But I, 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 do, I, I do have something to add to that, though, that, is, uh, uh, th that might help a little bit. And that is, uh, we on top of the motherfucking food chain. Truth. But guess what? If there's no chain below you, there's no you. So there's something. That's not true. Say. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely true. You are, you're, you're built on a foundation of, of microbes. You are, you feed off of, uh, you feed off of flora and fauna. True. You, but what if, but what if, but what if you, okay. uh, what if the pyramid is here and we're at the apex and we're slowly eroding what's underneath us to build something out from on top of us. So we are once again, situated at the bottom. Is that not a possibility that you're kind of, you know, building up over you could that I, not I, be? I, I can I can see that I can see that but I think there needs to be uh, in, enough of a balance to recognize that if you go too quickly then the too quickly means that you don't get an opportunity to build on top of you and so Agreed. and so I don't disagree with any of that and I, I'm not making uh, you know wait, let's let's uh, let's not progress argument the argument I'm making though is that uh, we we may be as we exponentiate the development of some technology we may be going so quick mm -hmm. that while it also disrupts our social systems we also disrupt uh, fundamental biological systems that underpin us in ways that we can't even understand like I did not know right. that there would be such an effect on uh, of, of human noise on uh, you know, the, the, the mating habits of fucking butterflies in a forest somewhere that was so distant that you wouldn't even think there was any contact Chaos uh, theory. <laughs> that, that perhaps it would result in a, uh, a loss of diversity, uh, you know, and, and that loss of diversity could in some ways crumble the foundations uh, of what we built. And so I think the problem with all of these things is that un, unbridled advancement that doesn't take into account long-term thinking. And by long-term, I mean scales of, you know, hundreds of years. We need to think, we need to use the minds that we have that, right. and to not think about the next quarter's profits. Right, correct. We need, to, we need to think about what's gonna happen in a thousand years. Like really what would happen in a thousand years, assuming perhaps that we don't get off this planet or that we need this, what's on this planet to survive long enough to allow us to make a transfer so that we also understand well enough to support ourselves that isn't just like a bubble and a low resolution biosphere that we hope will sustain us when nothing else is there. Um, I, th I think that someone needs to be thinking so profoundly. Just one person. So, so probably not Ted Kaczynski, uh, probably not Zuckerberg, but, some, but someone, you were talking about someone in the middle. It's someone who has the intellectual uh, means and the and a lack of extreme catastrophic ideas that would see what it is to sustain us mm -hmm. and that that takes um, uh, it, it takes a weight of controlled progress you see this right. in companies Incremental. You see this in companies all the time so I, I worked for a place one time that was actually very smart about this so I worked for a place where they, deliberately did not allow themselves to grow because they weren't ready. And so they put the infrastructure in place, knowing that things were going to come along and their capacity to control and then predict their growth and be prepared to absorb it without catastrophe was, it was prescient on the level of uh, like Nostradamus. It was good. Interesting. Um, however, uh, you see some companies where all they want is profit 
and they're not necessarily prepared to absorb it. And then in the process of absorption, they do things that are to their detriment and perhaps even lose the opportunity for growth and then their reputation in the marketplace. uh, And then the struggle to get that back uh, maybe become something that's insurmountable. So that I think is a great segue to talking about what we were talking about last night, which is the future of life world building uh, experiment that we're doing, the contest. And we were talking about controlled growth and planning. The problem with our attention-based economy right now, which almost all tech companies profit off of, and all companies that we're talking about grow based on out of like complete control, they have no control. Mm -hmm. So the attention-based economy right now is thriving off of virality and exponential growth. Mm -hmm. And perhaps virality is the problem We really don't want things to grow like viruses because truthfully, we are not necessarily at the top of the food chain. If you think about what's at the top of the food chain, it's a virus because (laughs) they have the potential to destroy everything. And if we let growth happen in that way, then we're kind of screwed. So this attention-based economy has to find a way to take a back seat. And I wonder if there's not some aspect of Zuckerbergism that we that we need, because perhaps Zuckerberg knows this, and I think this happens a lot with the elites. They know or they think they know something in a very Machiavellian way that they have to shelter everyone else from. And so your company, for example, had to take an authoritarian position of saying, we know y'all want the stock price to go up, but trust us. We're going to hold it for a minute. Just hold it. They had to control and know things that the workers did not know in order to allow it to to gradually rise. Otherwise, it would have hit a virality potentially that would have subsumed it. So I think there's something to be said about this optimism, like controlled, careful, cautious optimism that we need more of in this world to steal something from Scott Barry Kaufman. I love Scott Barry Kaufman, even though I disagree with him on a lot of things. I don't think I know anything about him. Oh no, he's, he does the psychology pod. So I've listened to him do this for a long time. He's really good. And he wrote a book called Transcend, which I am reading on audiobook. On He has recorded it on audiobook himself. So okay. it's, he's a big fan of Abraham Maslow. So a lot of what he has done is in the realm of creativity and self-actualization. And he it just has this kind of very calming presence in the world that I think we need more of. It's not chaotic. It's not hustle culture. It's not doom and gloom. It's cautious optimism that I think we could all use a heavy dose of. And even, even us, even you and I, we, we have this kind of like Joker-esque, especially me, persona, but (laughs) underneath it, I do try to have and maintain that cautious optimism. So yeah, yeah, I like this idea. And if we did, if we did this podcast on the, on the future of life world building contest, we, it would be a series on artificial intelligence, but it would also touch on many other cultural aspects and scientific aspects that we're interested in. And pulling this back to Ted K, Ted K says somewhere towards the end of the manuscript, that if humans allow machines to take control, then we're fucked basically. And, the, and he says that he's very intelligent about this, that it won't be like, we'll be like, here machines do everything for us. 
and it won't be like the machines will be like T2 where they're like, we are going to destroy you. Uh, it's more like, huh, I could get something to do that for me. I could get something to do that for me. And gradually the erosion of human freedom occurs because we become idiocracy where we're like, go away, Biden. As you're talking about the idea of idiocracy, the thing that occurs to me uh, with the advancement of AI being able to do a little bit more for us again and again and again until it uh, becomes unnecessary for us to do anything is um, what happens in nursing homes where uh, when you're looking at the way that uh, people who are incapacitated and, and looking at some kind of decline in a way uh, are handled. So the best way to handle them is to allow them to do the things that they can, because the more you incapacitate them, the more you accelerate uh, their decline. They must have enough agency. So this is, uh, uh, this is Kaczynski's maybe power process yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I, idea, but there's also something about this sense of agency and uh, and effectuality that um, that gives you a se the sense of purpose necessary to continue existing. And so I think there's probably some threshold at which if you turn everything over to some, uh, some machine level intelligence, uh, you may suffer a kind of uh, ennui and enemy that drives you into almost a kind of the kind of uselessness um, like antinatalist, like why be here? Because I literally have no purpose. Okay, the cautious optimist take on this now. Like, that was very... <laughs> well, no, well, I'm just saying that, 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 that there's got to be, there are things we potential. Need to continue doing for ourselves because every act, that you, everything that you take away from yourself that you could or maybe even ought to do reduces what you can do. This may be a natural traje trajectory. We could potentially change our fate, right? I don't want to get too deterministic because it, we know how many inputs there are. There are things like many things that can happen. So it's not necessarily true that we would go into that state, but if we skirt, you know, take a different turn, we could, better things could happen. You know, yeah. if you look at, you remember when we were reading Life 3.0 and Max had all these scenarios laid out for the different artificial super situations. So we are kind of, uh, if we take the perspective going back to civilized to death, we are kind of creating our own zoos, so to speak, but it's like this shifting of the pyramid that I'm imagining that we are standing on top of, and now we're building it up over ourselves. And maybe this is just part of the way things go. So instead of thinking about it, that we all descend into ennui, perhaps we move into a different type of intelligence or a different type of interest in being human, perhaps we could even get back to a Ted K kind of state of meditation and oneness with the matrix, so to speak, right? What if you're all just laying in your matrix pods going, here we are, we're in, we're, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, is that not, I mean, it sounds terrible, but would it be? Cue up the DMT. So we don't know exactly what we're gaining yet. We focus a lot of times with our negativity bias in this world on what we are losing. And uh, this is going to bring it all the way back to Kanye because my husband and I were talking about Kanye. He's like, I'm worried about that man. Like they should watch it. They should put him on suicide watch because, and I'm worried now about doing a podcast on him because we do it no, on no, 10K. No, 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 no. We have to do, you know, there's a rule on this podcast. If we Fuck. do a podcast on somebody, 
something bad happens to them. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I'm gonna. We're gonna break the curse. Good, Kanye hasn't made good music in over a decade, so I would say that. No. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna break. I just the say curse that out loud. Yeah. We're breaking the curse. We're breaking the curse with Kanye, and because we have to do it before we do Sapolsky, like he's a national treasure, we can't. Um. So oh, and, and it's and, and it's it, it, it's it's. And it's timely. So, so go ahead. I'm, I'm fine. Okay. So Kanye, Ken said, I think we should watch him. I'm worried about him because that man had peaked. He had his best selling album at the beginning of his career. And he has just been trying to grab up power, space, energy, whatever he can as a narcissist to mm-hmm. keep feeding himself. He did, he, he married the crown jewel of the world, right? Which mm-hmm. everyone considers the top of the sexual pyramid i mean of course not everyone but society at large <laughs> yeah, yeah. now what now what that man's gonna fall the fuck off right that's what he's thinking so we as humans are all in the potential for kanye's space right now I, well I, I have to tell you that i love this idea as you're as you're explaining it and um and there is something to when you're at the top when you reach when you reach a point where there's nothing more to achieve, and this goes back to the idea of this this whole power process, right? Maybe very often, and maybe this is what's going on in civilization now. Um, there is a self-implosive mechanism that makes it so that you destroy everything, so that you can climb again. Mm-mm-mm. Maybe, maybe I've done I've self-sabotaged on many occasions once I've achieved a certain set of goals. Absolutely. Again, going back to the idea of um, intelligently designing a future for humans uh, and, God. and our interface with technology, perhaps we should architect it such that we don't lose fundamental, important things to our biology and our psyche. So uh, people taking first-year uh, psychology classes should not be designing our future. The <laughs> The the tendency is toward unfettered progress and novelty societal. It's pseudo novelty, in my opinion, and it is just like every pseudo. And so I think, like, when I think about music, I think about a lot of times how artificial intelligence will take over music, and we will not have music in the same respect that we do. You can already see what's happening when you queue up Spotify, and it just tells you you'll like this, and I'm like, oh, I do like this. AI, machine learning, really not AI, is kind of subsuming our ability to find things for ourselves, to forage for things that we enjoy. And it's doing the job for us. And it will very soon take over the job of musicians. So it's, but it's pseudo novelty because we didn't create it ourselves. It's pseudo creativity because it's it's an extension of our creativity. We built this thing that builds this thing. So it's not by our own hands. So, so that's what I mean about this pyramid we're building out. We're building things that are away from us and therefore we're leaving ourselves kind of in the dust. Hmm. And so we build these machines that build other things that may eventually build other life forms. And where are we? Hmm. Well, one more idea on music. This is bad. <laughs> this is fucking bad. We need to this stop having ideas. Stop. We need to not have ideas. No more ideas. Um, so, so here, here's the thing. Even before Spotify, um, the music industry itself was already serving as a kind of creativity, 
uh, damper because you already have the, you have like the compression wars with sound and so forth. You have an algorithm already prior to uh, any programming for how to make a pop hit and to find something like that. It's it's already built into the music music industry. We have pseudo creativity already in every pop artist because almost every one of them sounds precisely the same. If but I isn't that because of us? Isn't that because of we're pro what we're programmed to enjoy and like as humans? The same chord progressions. How many no. different ways? No, no, no. Because music, and I hate, I'm going to sound like an old motherfucker right now, but it used to be. So if you listen to music in the 80s, if you listen to music in the 70s, there was so much variety in composition and artists that were popular had so much variation in the way that they expressed themselves. And it wasn't just about their appearances and so forth. Um, we liked that. And it just became that the industry itself, I think, aside from the artists, decided that in order for us to sign you and make you successful, you're going to make something that kind of sounds a little bit like this. No one could make Bohemian Rhapsody now. We've over-optimized what we like, and it's like hedonistic ennui. Right. And so in that way, I say we haven't, we're, we're not building from the bottom of uh, a new pyramid. We are deconstructing the pyramid uh, uh -uh. and shipping it away at our own creativity. No, I think we're still building on top of it because we're forcing ourselves now. Look at you. You're in angst. You're, you're suffering right now because you're yearning, <laughs> you're yearning am, for the- I'm, I'm yearning for real music. I listen to stuff are. that's so bizarre because it's the only thing that right. approximates the creativity of the past. That's what I'm saying. So you yearning for this deconstruction uh, or what is being deconstructed, you're now building something new on top of that with listening to weird and bizarre things, what we are calling pseudo creativity. Like the fucking poles have shifted. We're no longer doing that. We're now mm -hmm. doing this and we're now creating music with machines and other types of algorithms. So... What's the difference? I mean, it's it's vastly different, but it's very much the same. It's just a new kind of creativity. My dog's barking now, so he's saying we we, yeah, yeah. we we how do we end this? We were talking about basically media, so this is our first movie challenge that we've done. So maybe the music all makes sense. We're talking about media consumption and fine. I liked I liked hearing the music of the natural world uh, coming from your dogs. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Kanye next. Kanye next. Genius. 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 <laughs> Genius. <laughs>